So today, putting this back in my pocket, not going to forget it. Um, I wanted to, I'll, I'll stop being so funny soon, I swear. Um, today, I want to talk about an angle of the diamond that I think is very present in the minds of the New Testament writers. And I think it's relevant for us as we switch the calendar, like as we go from 2023 to 2024. Um, the angle is that Jesus saves us from fear, um, even when we feel powerless. So I think before I go any farther, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, you know my heart. Um, you know. You know. You know it all. You know how Alex and I are, my brother's here, you know how Alex and I are feeling. Um, you know the kind of weekend it's been. And you know that it's your spirit that's always going to speak through me. I pray that you'll be with me this morning. I pray that you'll give me the words to say. As I prayed before, I pray that they, I will speak them slow enough to be understandable. Um, and I pray that you'll bring me closer to you through preaching. And I pray that everyone who's here either in person or online, is also brought closer to you. Um, not because of anything smart that I say, but because it's your spirit that does all the work like every single time. So I pray that you'll bless this morning, um, and I thank you for the opportunity. Amen. Okay. So when I start talking about this angle of the diamond, that Jesus saves us from fear, even when we feel powerless, I want to be very, very clear at the beginning. What I am not saying is that Jesus gives us superpowers. I'm, I'm not saying that through trusting the gospel and following Jesus that we get special powers or like anything that empowers us enough to overcome our fears by our own strength. I'm not saying that. If anyone could have said that, and this might seem like a weird place to start, but I'll explain why in a second, but if anybody could have said that, that, that trusting the gospel gave you superpowers or special powers, it would have been the apostles, like the original followers of Jesus, the 12, 13, like the ones who were with him from the beginning. Like in Jesus' name, the apostles did incredible things. I was just reading this morning, it was convenient that I read it, but I was reading about how in the book of Acts, like when the apostles were first spreading the message of Jesus, it was like the Christ was working through them so powerfully that Peter would like walk down the street and people with injuries or disabilities would want to like be in his shadow because of how like powerfully like Jesus was working through him. Like people would be healed when his shadow fell on them. It's amazing. And yet, so, so if anyone was going to say we got powers from Jesus, it would have been them. And yet when the apostles do like wild, crazy, amazing, like beautiful things, they never take credit. Instead, they're always, their primary concern is they always want to tell you that it's Jesus, not them. So I know you're turned to Mark 5. You can stay there or you can put a thumb there and go to Acts chapter 3. I want to read six verses from Acts 3 to make this point. So to set the stage, Peter and John, two apostles of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, have just healed a guy who couldn't walk. He'd been unable to walk for, I think, like 38 years. And understandably, people are like shocked. Like they've, they've seen him sitting at the gate for 38 years, unable to walk, begging for food. And suddenly he's walking. And so they run to the apostles. And again, they're, they're in shock and awe. And Peter's immediately, like his immediate goal is that they don't get the credit. 
So I'm going to read Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. And I hope, like I said, I hope this is clear enough that it, like, just really, really obvious. So this is Acts 3, starting in verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. So yeah, like I said, I hope that's like really, really obvious. Peter's entire goal is it's not us, it's Jesus. The, The power that you see is Christ. It's not that I got superpowers. Now I make this point because... I, even though I don't think we, well, we don't, it's just me. We don't think about it in terms of like, I get superpowers, but I think our first instinct when we're afraid, when we're in fear or feel powerless is to try to take control. Like we, we want to try to get power so that we don't feel powerless, right? We, we want to overcome our fear by being strong. However, and I'll get more into this as we go, but for now, let me just say that that's a dead end. Because we are frail, fragile, broken humans, we are not strong enough to overcome our fears by our power. I think that people in the first century, 2,000 years ago, may have understood that probably more intuitively than I do, maybe more intuitively than us, because of what they were afraid of. And this is where we get to Mark 5. So, as we get to Mark 5, there's kind of a question, I guess, that I'll ask. Maybe it's, again, maybe it's me that has it, but if our first instinct is to overcome fear by taking control or by using our own strength or by being powerful enough, but that's not what we're supposed to do, if like even the apostles were really like concerned about not doing that, if we're not supposed to do that, how do we avoid being scared all the time? Because what else do we do? If we can't take care of it ourselves, what do we do? I think a person reading Mark's gospel might have had similar questions because of what they were afraid of. So I'll give you a 30-second history lesson. I love history, but I will make it 30 seconds or less. If you were living in first century Rome, you probably had two primary fears. Like there were, I think, two fears. This is from a little bit of research that I've done. There were probably two fears that were like pervasive amid Roman society, Jew or Gentile, whoever you were you were probably pretty afraid of spiritual evil or spiritual powers, and you were probably pretty afraid of death. When I say, like, evil spirits, I'm talking, like, demons, maybe like we would think of them, but I'm also thinking of, like, the Roman gods, the Greek gods. Um, These spirits that they believed were really involved with their lives, controlling things as fundamental as the weather. Um, And if those are your two primary fears, spirits that are working in the world and death, good luck overcoming those by being more powerful, right? I mean, everyone dies. And if you see 
a force as powerful enough to stop it from raining or make you, make you and your family sick and you can't see it, you're not, you can't overcome that. It's in this context that Jesus was living. And it's in this context where the story of Mark 5 takes place. So I'm going to read Mark 5. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 5. And I forgot to say this before the Acts passage. I knew I would. But I'll have us stay seated for the reading of the word today just because I'm reading a couple different sections. So this is Mark 5, 1 through 5. We're going to be introduced to a character. They, which they is Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. All right, so we could say a few things about this guy. The primary thing I want you to notice about him is that he is the physical embodiment of the two things that would terrify you if you were reading this in the first century. This dude is possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, it says, and I think literally it would be translated unclean spirit. He's possessed by a spirit, and he's living in the tombs, a place of death. Like, Mark, Mark is being super on the nose. Like, this guy is terrifying. He's possessed by an evil spirit, living in a place of death. And all of the people are terrified of him, right? Like, he, we would be too. He's, he's walking around at night screaming and breaking any chains that you put on him. Like, you're, if you're living in the Gerasenes, you're just happy that he's over in the tombs and not over with you. But now I want to read Mark 5, 6 through 13, to show what happens when Jesus interacts with this, like, terrifying monster is probably the right way to think of him in a first century mind. When he, this is the man. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So, again, a lot of ways we could go with this. We're not going to talk about the pigs. But first, see that he's even scarier than you thought. Like, he's not just possessed by an evil spirit. It's a legion of evil spirits. And yet, even though he is, again, the the embodiment of what would make us afraid, or what would make you afraid, Jesus is not afraid. Actually, the man is afraid of him. And Jesus, through his power, overcomes. Like, overcomes the thing that would have made you the most afraid. And this picture of Jesus overcoming fear, it extends like significantly farther than this one instance in Mark 5 at some tombs. The ultimate display of Jesus overcoming fear in the biblical writers' minds is the resurrection. It's the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, again, this could be like a whole sermon in itself, but I just will really briefly say that Jesus' death was the intersection of three things. Number one, it was a part of the plan of God. 
God's known from eternity past what we were going to do and that his son would come and die to save us. It's the intersection of human evil. The Jews, through the political might of the Romans, put Jesus to death. And then, for our purposes this morning, Jesus' death is also the work of spiritual evil. I think the, the clearest way we see this is Satan entering Judas, right? Satan and the demons wanted Jesus dead, and he died. So, not only was the cross the work, partially the work of spiritual evil, Jesus also legitimately died, right? There's no, there's no hint in the gospel of, in any of the gospels, of Jesus, you know, passing out and then coming back to life in the tomb. I mean, he was so dead that when they stabbed him, the blood and water came out separately. That, that happens after you die, is your blood and your water separate, and they came out separately. He was super dead. And th- there's no hint of him, like, going up and having someone else come down and hang there and die instead of him. No, that's not, that's not in the story. Jesus actually died, and Satan and the demons actually wanted it to happen. And yet, even though that happened, beautifully, through the power of God, Jesus fully and completely overcame both of those things— Evil, the powers of evil and death by the resurrection, showing that everything that makes a person afraid is overcome in him. Now, that was very zoomed in, zooming out. You might be thinking at this point, Tyler, that's a cool lens. Like, that's cool. It's, that's nice that we can view the resurrection this way. But why should I care about this angle of the diamond? Like, why, why does knowing that Jesus, that Jesus saves me from fear actually matter? And that's a fair question, because you might not be afraid of spiritual evil. Maybe you're not even afraid of dying, right? Like, I think spiritual evil in particular, living in, at least I'll speak for myself, like, living in a 21st century, very technological society, I don't, I don't observe us worrying about spiritual evil quite as much as we would have 2,000 years ago. So it's a fair question to ask me that. I, pose the question to myself on your behalf. But here's the thing. Even if those are not our fears, I don't think I'm out of line to tell you that there are things that make us feel powerless. I I think we have fears as well, even if they look different. I'm going to talk about three of them, and I say going into this that these are maybe going to hurt a little bit because they're real. Um, I tinkered with whether or not I should be explicit about the things we're afraid of, but if I'm talking about the gospel that Jesus saves us, it's important to know what we're being saved from. So I have three examples of things that we can be afraid of today. And the first is this. I mean, again, maybe this is a reality for you currently, but force yourself just for five or ten seconds to think about what it would be like if you lost your job. If that's you, or if that could be you, or if that has been you, it's awful, right? Your, your sense of security is gone. Your ability to provide for your family has gone along with it. It's terrifying. What, like, what, what comes next when that happens? Maybe that's not you, right? Like maybe you aren't providing for a family. Maybe maybe you have a job, but it's you know it's some extra income. It's nice, but it's not everything. Um, maybe you're a high school junior, college sophomore. I don't know. 
but maybe, maybe, maybe thinking about losing your job is not the most terrifying thing. But what about, this is the second one. What, a, what if someone you know or someone you don't is out around spreading lies about you and saying things about you that aren't true and defaming your character? And, and even though it's not true, like even though they're not saying anything that's real, people believe them and your reputation is being ruined. And, and what if as that's happening, you are powerless to do anything about it? That even if you go and advocate or defend yourself, you're not going to be believed. That's terrifying in a whole other way. And what about a third, like, one final one, and this one I think we have some overlap with our first century friends, that in 2023, tomorrow and 2024, we can prolong life. Like, we can do a lot to live longer. Like in like 21st century America, our life expectancy is pretty good. And yet we still can't stop death. Whether it's for yourself or your loved ones, death is still coming. So what are we supposed to do? We've, we've already established that from, from the apostles that the answer is not become more powerful. That's futile because of our humanity. When we're forced to do that, and like sit with our fears that is when this diamond begins to shine a little bit brighter because in precisely the same way that Jesus overcame first century fears of spiritual evil and death he is also powerful enough to speak to our current fears of losing our security losing our loved ones um, being cast out or, or slandered by being united to Christ, those fears are overcome just like the fears of spiritual evil are overcome. And I say that seriously. Like, I don't say that loosely, right? Like, if it's your sense of security, if it's, if, if it's the job on the line, Jesus provides this in security that lasts not just as we're living on this earth, but forever if we're in him. If... If you're concerned, if, if, you're, if you, the perception of you is being ruined, if your character is being defamed, being united to Christ, you are united to the one who knows what your character actually is, knows that it's worse than what people are saying about you, and loves you anyways. Like, I've, I was in middle school and high school. Like, I had, there, there were things said about me, and, and the moment I was like, that's so untrue and I want to defend myself, and yet, in Christ, like, Christ knows that even if those things aren't true, there are worse things true about me. And he still loved me enough to die on a cross. And if it's death, whether for you or someone you love, if we are in Christ, it's a song. I probably thought of the lyrics because I'm married to Emily. De- like, death is a doorway into resurrection life. Like, death is not the end if we are in Christ. It's, it's the doorway to something greater, which is being united with him, like fully and seeing him face to face. Our fears pale in comparison to Christ's power, regardless of what they are. And I could end there, but I'm not going to. I want to say one more thing and end very practically. Because maybe at this point you're tracking. Maybe the idea that Jesus can save people from fear, both in the past or the present, makes some sense to you. This is whether you're a Christian or not, by the way. But whoever you are sitting in this room, whatever you think about Jesus, you know 
that Christians are still afraid of things. Right? I am. Like, you're either sitting here as a Christian, now that I said that, you're either sitting here as a Christian thinking of your fears, or you're sitting there thinking of what the Christians you know are afraid of. And understandably, if if your brain is there right now, what I've been saying for the last few minutes about Christ overcoming all fear, it might sound kind of cheap, right? It might sound trite, because you know that functionally, Christians have not overcome all of their fears. This is a really silly example. I'm still afraid of rock walls. I got stuck on a rock climbing wall in third grade. They had to climb up and get me off. And I, I've been a Christian before, during, and since then, and I'm still terrified. Does that reality ruin this message? Does the fact that Christians have fears undermine this angle of the diamond? And it's a fair question, again, especially in light of Mark 5, which we read, that If you read a couple verses after, like verses 14, 15, 16, you'll see that the people in the region of Gerasenes, they do not react to Jesus casting out these these demons from this man with, like, a bunch of happiness. They actually switch from being afraid of the demon-possessed man to being afraid of Jesus. And they ask him to leave. So, what do we do with this? Here, I think, is what we do. The message of the gospel, I will pull out the ring again. The message of the gospel, in any angle of this diamond that you look at, if this was the gospel, the gospel is much greater than this ring, but whatever angle of this you look at, the message is never that Jesus saves us and so we immediately become perfect. That's, that's never the message. Um, if you've been around churches much in your life, you'll know that an angle of the gospel we talk about a ton very true, very beautiful, is that Jesus saves us from sin, right? And yet, you'll also know that even though, as Christians, we are saved from sin, we still sin. In, in this life, we still have sinful thoughts, we still practice sinful behaviors. There's, there's no angle of the diamond that says that we attain immediate perfection. When we trust and follow Christ, we will still be afraid of stuff that comes with being a fallen, frail human. However, what we are freed from is the need to save ourselves from those fears. We're we're free from that need that we feel instinctively to overcome fear by our own strength. That need to gain power so that we won't be afraid anymore, it's over. In Christ, we're united with the truly powerful one who has already saved us from fear. And so it's through trust in Christ that Our fears still exist, but they no longer need to paralyze us. They no longer need to trap us, and they no longer need to consume us. Instead, we can trust in the one who is, in whom we are eternally secure. Because our fears might happen. Like, you could lose your job. Maybe you have. Your reputation could be absolutely destroyed. Like, these things can actually happen. And yet, despite that, despite the terror that comes with being a human... We can persevere in these terrifying and difficult situations because we know that they're all temporary. From a long-term perspective, yeah, fear is destroyed because instead of of a life of struggling and then a death and then nothingness to look forward to, we have a great and eternal hope, which is gaining Christ, being led by his spirit, and eventually going to be with him forever. That, That is the diamond. That is the gospel. 
And I just spent a half hour talking about the gospel and Jesus overcoming fear, and yet I think Jesus says it as perfectly as it could be said in one sentence. So let me quote a verse for you, and then I'll pray. This is John sixteen thirty three. He's talking to his disciples. He says, In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is that make you feel, makes you feel powerless, Jesus has overcome it. I'm going to pray, and then I think we have one more song. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for carrying me. I pray that you'll bless us as we turn the calendar. We go to 2024, and the things we're afraid of still exist. I pray that we know that those things are real. It makes sense that we're afraid. And yet, you are with us and you are carrying us through these lives as we move towards an eternity with you. I love you, Lord. I pray that this is an encouragement and a hope um, and that we spend our lives moving closer to you and persevering. I love you. Amen.